0: Some people often ask, what does it mean to be Christian? Or like, how do you live as a Christian? Questions about this Christian life. Do you want to know what it means to be Christian? To be really, really good at knowing just how bad you are and how great our God is. That's it. To be Christian is to recognize I in myself am broken. and Sometimes it's circumstances that led us here. Sometimes it's past choices. Sometimes it's things out of our control or things we controlled. Regardless, we are desperately in need of a God who forgives greatly.
1: Hi, this is Chris from The Point, a church where you can come as you are and you can text in your questions. You may not be sure what you believe about God, Jesus, faith, or the Bible, and that's okay because faith is not about having it all figured out. And God is not waiting for you to put your life together before he'll connect with you. If you'd like to find out more about The Point, you can visit our website at thepointknox.com or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at The Point Knox. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are. Well, good morning. For those of
0: you joining us online, I'm glad you can join us from wherever you're at. Welcome today. We are going through in preparation for Lent, well, for Easter specifically, we're going through the Gospels. Each one of them, what are these books that tell us about the life of Jesus? Real quick, Matthew, if you recall, Matthew wrote his Gospel This good news proclaimed to all as a means to help teach people that Jesus was the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament promises. Very specifically, Matthew was writing to Jewish people All of the hope that you've been waiting for has now come. Everything you've been looking for we found in Jesus. Mark, he writes very specifically to the followers of Jesus. His gospel is written to portray what it looks like to follow after Jesus. And what we see in Mark is that following after Jesus is incredibly hard. In fact, every one of his followers falls away, gets it wrong. And Mark, potentially, depending on how we read the ending, leaves us where Jesus is risen from the dead and an angel shows up to the ladies and says, Go and tell. And what do they do? They run in fear. Because far too often you and I struggle with what it means to follow Jesus well. Now when we get to Luke's gospel, Luke has a very different intention. First, Luke is the only gospel where he very directly says, I'm the one who writes this book. In fact, Luke is writing not as an eyewitness um, story, not a story he himself saw, but he's writing as a historian having traveled with Paul. If you know what comes after the Gospels, a man named Paul, who was a terrible man who hated Christians, becomes a Christian, and starts actively going to the whole world, sharing with everybody the good news of Jesus. And Luke, who was trained as a doctor, was a companion of his and traveled with him. And Luke is given the task to collect a whole bunch of eyewitness accounts and write them into one cohesive narrative. In fact, the very beginning of Luke, he says this, Here at the beginning, he says, in as much as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, already when you start with in as much as, you know there's going to be a whole lot of big language and words, right? Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. Luke, he writes out saying, I am writing specifically to you that you may know these things are true. You've heard stories and now I want to verify them. Let me tell you eyewitness accounts that I've gathered and I've collected. And he writes to this most excellent Theophilus, we don't know who Theophilus was, but I know that's a really cool name, and I know that my father-in-law said that my firstborn son could not be named Theophilus, which was unfortunate. But we do know that Luke elsewhere writes in the Gospel of or not the Gospel, the story of Acts. Uh, that's the second half of Luke's Gospel, basically. Luke's Gospel focuses on what is Jesus's life and ministry like, and the Book of Acts is what happens to the church after Jesus. How did he change things? And Luke, also having written that one, we know he addresses Roman leaders with this title, most excellent so-and-so. So it's quite possible that Theophilus was some Roman leader who had an interest in the gospel. Somebody probably prominent with wealth and with power and with some kind of authority who's not only expressed interest in this, he's commissioned Luke, on my behalf, go and write these accounts so I can know that it's true. So Luke writes from this place of a historian, naming names and dates and places more than any of the other Gospels, which can be really confusing if you don't know those dates or those names or those places, but it's a helpful thing to note that Luke is centering Jesus not in some abstract concept we believe in, but in a concrete reality. In our very history as people, this happened. This is a part of the world we live in and it cannot be denied. Even if you choose to deny the conclusion or the outcome. This is. So Luke, writing as his historian, he writes, and where Matthew focuses on a Jewish audience and Mark focuses on the cost of following Jesus, Luke focuses on who Jesus invites to follow. And very specifically, Luke turns the whole world upside down. And I really like that he's writing on behalf of and for a really wealthy aristocrat who has all kinds of power and authority. Because you see in Luke's gospel that Jesus is not about those who have it all together with wealth and social status, but rather he comes for those who are the low and the weak and the humble. In fact, he continues a little bit later in chapter 4, as Jesus comes on the scene and begins his ministry, he gives this genealogy of Jesus in chapter 3. And in Matthew's genealogy, saying this is where Jesus comes from, Matthew traces it back to Abraham. But Luke, he goes further. He doesn't stop at Abraham. He goes all the way back to Adam. In the beginning. See, for Luke, he says Jesus is not just for those who are the people of God but for any person, all people. And in chapter four, there's this incredible story where he's preaching in his hometown. He's sharing this good news. Nobody wants to hear it. Here's what happens in verse 16. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And we need to understand a little bit this scroll of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 61 is proclaiming when the Messiah comes, when God rescues, when he redeems, this is how you will know it is happening. The spirit of the Lord will be upon him, will be anointed If you've ever heard the name Messiah or Christ, that means anointed one, one who is blessed by God on God's behalf. This Messiah will come, the Lord will, his spirit will be upon him and he will be anointed to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives And I love that liberty to the captives. We often think about that as those who are imprisoned. But what Luke is writing here is significantly more than just to the criminal or the prisoner. That idea of liberty or freedom resonates with the Old Testament idea of the year of jubilee. Have you ever heard of that? It's a really cool thing, let me tell you. The year of Jubilee, God created a system for social justice and caring for his people. And in the Old Testament laws, God said that every 50th year, you were to completely forgive every debt that had ever been accrued. Not only this, if somebody in the course of those 50 years had sold their land, that land would be returned to them. Why does that matter? Well, in this agrarian culture where the only way they lived was by having land, the constant return of the land to the people was making sure that every generation was provided for, that every generation had what they needed. Not only this, no one person could oppress the masses by just gathering up and hoarding for themselves because at the end of those 50 years, you'd have to give back what you purchased along the way. God created this year of Jubilee to forgive every debt so that nobody was in bondage and slavery to their debt or their past mistakes or their life circumstances indefinitely. You see, you could sell your land and go into debt because of things out of your control. If your husband died and you had no children as a widow, who would care for you so you could sell your land So that you'd have a means of subsistence and survival. As somebody who was struggling because of a famine or a time of need where there was great plague or something of that nature, you might sell your land so that you would be provided for. And then in turn, perhaps you would give yourself as a slave to another. You would offer yourself up basically like an indentured servant. Between now and the year of Jubilee, I will serve you, my children will serve you, and in return, you will provide for us. A roof overhead, clothes on our back, food to eat, safety from enemies, you will care for us, and we will serve you. But it was not God's intention that his people would remain in bondage and servanthood and poverty indefinitely. And so the year of Jubilee was part of their culture and their life, at least it was supposed to be. You will practice this, and by practicing this, all people, everyone, will be cared for. When Jesus quotes from Isaiah, he sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. This idea of freedom is he sent me to tell those who are in bondage and in debt by their own choices or their circumstances, by whatever those who are struggling and hurting. This is the good news. I will restore you. I will make it right. I will provide for your every need. I, God, will be enough. On top of this, though, this idea of proclaiming liberty to the captives isn't the primary and only thing Luke is talking about. See, right before this in Isaiah, it says this, he sent me to proclaim good news to the poor. And in our culture, we often think of poor as being those who don't have much money, those who financially aren't well off. But the poor conveys significantly more for Luke and his hearers at the time. Poor implied anybody who is socially low on the the ladder Right? If you are an outcast, if you are a woman, if you are a leper, if you are whatever and you are not somebody of social status, you were deemed poor. If you were a widow and had nobody to care for you, you were deemed poor. If you were a child without parents to provide for you, you were deemed poor no matter how much wealth you had. The poor was all those who were for any reason Outcasts, which included those who were outcasts by their ethnicity. You don't belong here. Those who were outcasts by their past decisions, like prostitutes and women who had done terrible things, or men who had given themselves to be tax collectors. Those sinners who were low on the social status. These were the poor. Jesus, he gets up here in the synagogue at the beginning of Luke's gospel and he reads from Isaiah, when the Messiah comes, this is what will happen. There will be freedom for the captive, good news for the poor. And then he sits down and he says, today this is being fulfilled in your presence. And the rest of Luke's gospel is demonstrating to you and me and all who read that this is what Jesus does. He frees the captive. He gives good news to those who are low in all statuses. And in fact, just a little bit later in chapter seven, we see this played out very practically. You see, a little bit later, there's this woman, we don't know much about her other than this one little phrase given. This sinful woman it says she was a woman of the city. This is in verse 20 or 37, which I don't have on the screen, but it says this. It says, "And behold a woman of the city who was a sinner." And it goes on to describe what she does. A woman of the city. What might that phrase be referring to? Somebody who's well known around town? Probably not for honorable reasons. A woman of, a, of the city who was a sinner, she comes to Jesus and she weeps over his feet and anoints his feet with oil. A sign of great honor and respect and praise. And the disciples all chastise her. Don't do that. Why are you doing that? And Jesus instead celebrates her. And, and this is what happens here. Beginning in verse 47. Jesus not only celebrates her, he forgives her. He says this, "'Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, "'are forgiven, for she loved much. "'But he who is forgiven little, loves little. "'And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. "'Then those who were at the table with him "'began to say among themselves, "'Who is this who even forgives sins?' And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This woman of lowly status, by the choices she made or perhaps by a system of oppression around her, comes to honor Jesus and his disciples get mad. And Jesus blesses her and says, your sins are forgiven. And I love that line he puts in there. right? Those who are forgiven little love little. The truth of the matter is, it's really easy to see other people as more in need of forgiveness than me. It's really easy to see other sinners as worse than me or lowly compared to me. We live in a culture that is literally built upon social status We have social media that is all about boosting our egos with likes and thumbs up and hearts and all sorts of things. And if we don't get it, we crave it and we want more. 2,000 years later, we're not much different. Thank God I'm not like those sinners, right? And yet this woman, probably a prostitute, sees who Jesus is and says, you are worth everything. And Jesus praises her faith and forgives her sins. Some people often ask, what does it mean to be Christian? Or like, how do you live as a Christian? Questions about this Christian life. Do you want to know what it means to be Christian? To be really, really good at knowing just how bad you are and how great our God is. That's it. To be Christian is to recognize I in myself am broken. And sometimes it's circumstances that led us here. Sometimes it's past choices. Sometimes it's things out of our control or things we controlled. Regardless, we are desperately in need of a God who forgives greatly. Luke, he continues in chapter 23 all the way through this gospel. But in chapter 23, as Jesus is suffering and is dying, as he's preparing to breathe his last, Jesus, he looks down at the very people who are mocking him. He looks down at the very people who are crucifying him, who have just beaten him. And Jesus, he cries out and says this in verse 34. He says, that's the wrong chapter. That's not what he says. But Jesus, he cries out and he says this. I'll just look up here. It'll be up there. Maybe. The People stood by watching But the ruler scoffed at him, saying, he saved others, let him save himself if he is the one, the the Christ of God, his chosen one. I think it's the verse prior that I was looking for. Um, If you don't have it up there, here's what it says. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. As he's suffering, as he's dying, as he's being brutally tortured and mocked and harassed, Jesus cries out, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Luke's gospel is a wonderful good news for you and me today because Luke portrays Jesus as the Savior who's not just going to the Jewish people or the ones committed to following, but he's going to those who are hurting and broken and sinful, those who are lowly and not necessarily of great social status. And I love that Luke writes this on behalf of Theophilus, a man of great social status. He says, you want to know what Jesus is like? He cares about those who are really far from God. You want to know what Jesus is like? He cares about those nobody else cares about. You want to know this good news of Jesus? Love those who are hurting and broken and otherwise undeserving. Because for you and me, the more we see just how much we don't deserve it, the greater it becomes that He would love and forgive a sinner even like me. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for Luke and his writings, that he depicted you going to the lame and the broken and the hurting. Being with the sinners and the Gentiles and the outcasts. We thank you that you have come to forgive those who need much forgiveness. God, we confess that sometimes we think other people need it more than we do. I confess that sometimes I see myself in higher regard than you do or than I should. God, we thank you that you have come to forgive much. Specifically that you have come to forgive sinners like me. So we ask today for freedom for those who are captive. Those who are bound as servants to their sin or to their past. Those who are bound as servants in debt to others, God, would you set us free? We ask for good news for those who are poor the outcasts and the disconnected and the unloved and the unlovable, you have loved and you've brought us near. Teach us today to live in this grace and this good news. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Not only did Jesus forgive the the men there who were putting him to death, Jesus, the night before, was gathered with his disciples, and he, thinking of you and me as we read in John's gospel, thinking of those who would come later, Jesus gave us a meal that every single time we eat of this meal, every time we drink this wine here before us, we receive not just an idea that he's a figure in history, but a concrete reality, that our God would step down from his throne and become flesh. He would become man for you and for me. While he was enthroned on high, he would humble himself and become the least of these. And every time we eat and we drink of this meal, we proclaim his death until he comes, which means we declare to our sinfulness, Christ has died for me. We declare to our enemies who are coming against us, Christ has died for me. He will be victorious. We declare to this world that is broken and hurting, that is desperately in need of healing. We declare to all of these things, Christ has died. There's hope for us yet. There's peace for those who are lowly and there's good news and freedom for those enslaved. So we come to eat and to drink, ready to receive his forgiveness. Jesus, he offers us this forgiveness in a very mysterious way that we in the church call a sacrament, quite literally meaning a mysterious thing. And this mysterious thing is that somehow, by his word and his promises, he transforms this very ordinary bread and ordinary wine, into something extraordinary. The very presence of God with us, his body and his blood. See, on the night when Jesus was betrayed, after giving thanks, he broke bread and he gave it to his disciples and he said, take and eat. This is my body given for you. In the same way, he took the cup. After giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, take and And drink, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, poured out for the forgiveness of all your sins. Do this often in remembrance of me. And in those words and with that promise, Jesus invites you and me to come and receive. So if you're here today and you are the poor, the ones in need of freedom, the captive needing God to set you free. You are one like that prostitute needing to be forgiven much. Come today and receive his body and his blood for the forgiveness of all of your sins. I'm gonna commune the band and the assistants, and then I'm going to invite everyone here today who is in need of his presence and his forgiveness. Come and receive what he freely gives. Church, as those forgiven and freed by the very body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, may this, his true body and blood, strengthen you in faith to life everlasting. May you be filled with his peace. Amen. As we continue our worship today, we're going to continue by collecting an offering. Here in this place, we believe an offering is an opportunity to partner with what God is doing and say, I want to join in the work you have in this community and this this city and even beyond that, the state and country and maybe world. I want to share with you something that's on my heart today. Uh, We as Lutheran pastors in the area gather about once a month to encourage one another and just grow together. And one of the pastors who's in our group, there's about 12 or 13 of us, Uh, He's retired. He retired here. He's been serving down the street at First Lutheran Church for a long while. And uh, his name is Larry. Well, Larry's house was a total loss in these Weir Valley fires recently. So I want to ask you two things. One, will you join in praying for Larry and his wife as they uh, try to pick up the pieces and say, what's next and where do we go? Also, if today you would like to give an extra gift above and beyond your normal giving to bless Larry and to bless his wife in this time. Um, please feel free either in the popcorn buckets with your physical cash or check. Uh, feel free to write his name on there. Just write for Larry and we'll, we'll put it there. Um, give it to him as a gift or if you'd like to do so online, if you're giving electronically, you can add a little memo in the bottom that says, for Larry, and we will give him a blessing just to say, we're here for you, we care about you, and we're sorry for your loss. However you give and whatever you give, know this, uh, we give not to get God's love, but because we already have it. Thank you. Well, we believe here in this place that questions are a really healthy part of our faith life, so every week we invite questions to be texted
2: in, and I do my best to respond. What questions came in today? Uh, The first was a comment. It says, good morning, Pastor Adam, watching from Facebook. Good morning. Uh, Let's see. Thanks for the easy one. It's another easy one. You ready? It says, beautiful sermon today. Watched online because I couldn't be there. Thank you for a great message to start the week. Thanks. You're welcome. These are pretty easy so far. (laughs) You're really setting me up for a big one, aren't you? Yeah. (laughs) All right. This is a prayer request. It says, remember Jeanette Bradley... Uh, it says, her shoulder sometime soon. Prayers for me in right hip uh, inflammation. Had to go to the doctor Friday evening. It's been throbbing.
0: All right. Well, before we get into the next one, we'll just pray for that real quick, all yeah. right? All right, well, God, we come before you. We thank you for Jeanette. We thank you for this person who submitted this request. We pray uh, for healing of their hip, for her shoulder. We ask that you would give them strength and comfort through this journey. We pray this in Jesus' name.
2: Amen. Amen. So the only question I see says... Verse about the vineyard and the owner with the son being killed. Very powerful parable that many do not grasp to this day. Where can I find this passage?
0: Um, in Luke. Uh,
2: I don't recall exactly where. Um... I cheated when I was sitting over there. So you know the answer? I think it's in chapter 21.
0: Whew, thank yeah.
2: you. <laughs> Luke chapter 21,
0: there's this great parable where Jesus talks about a uh, man who has a vineyard that he rents out and then he sends his, son, or his servants to collect the, the basically money he's, he's owed and they beat up his servants and they kill his servants and finally he sends his son and they say, well, if, if we kill his son, then we'll have it all to ourselves. And Jesus tells this parable to describe uh, even what the people uh, there, the religious people, the Jewish people who were supposed to be God's people, how they were treating God. He sent prophets, he sent messengers, and they would kill them or hate them. And then ultimately God sent his son who would die because they didn't like the message he preached, that God was loving and forgiving of all people regardless of what they did or where they came from. Is that that it? I think that's it. Cool. Yeah, it's a great parable. I encourage you to look it up. And if Luke 21 is wrong, um, a good thing I would encourage, take time this week and read all of Luke and pay attention to all the places where somebody who's lame or outcast or socially not accepted gets loved by Jesus. One of the things about Luke that's super, super cool is Luke talks more about the role of women in Jesus's ministry than any other gospel. Because for Luke, he's all about Jesus also came for women and they're not an inferior second class of people. They're actually the same people God's called. It's beautiful. So read Luke this week and stumble upon other really cool parables. Were there other
2: questions? Those are all the questions. The parable is not in John because there are no parables in the book of John, and we'll talk about that next week. Did I say John? No, I was just making a comment. Excellent, cool.
0: You had me nervous. (laughs) Next week, we're going to finish the Gospels with the Gospel of John, and Vicar Adam's going to be sharing, which will be awesome. I'm excited. Um, So ask all the hard ones next week, okay? Excellent. Well, with that, then, receive this blessing. Yes, Tony? An announcement. Is it for everybody or for a few people? Uh, okay. Yes. Well, yeah. tomorrow, 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 yeah. His surgery for his hip is tomorrow. Yeah. Awesome. We can all join in praying for Tony's dad's hip surgery. And we'll do that now before the blessing. All right. Lord, we thank you for Tony's dad. We thank you that he's finally getting this hip surgery. We ask you to give him comfort as he recovers. Give him strength. Uh, Help the doctors, guide them to do exactly what needs to be done. And we pray also for Tony for peace as he awaits his dad's recovery and even as he awaits his dad's surgery to be concluded. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Receive this blessing, church. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May He look upon you with favor and give you His peace. Have a great week.
1: Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. If this message has made an impact in your life, please let us know. Simply fill out the Contact Us page on thepointknox.com. And if you'd like to be a part of supporting the Point ministry, simply go to thepointknox.com forward slash support. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are.